Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hello, everyone. We are back, this time not with a two- or three-month delay. We have got a lot to talk about this time. This is the Anime World Order, show number 174. If you've never listened to us before, we talk about anime, the new stuff, the old stuff. I am Gerald Rathkolb, and with me, as always... This is Daryl Surratt. And this is Clarissa. Before we get too far into this, what are we going to be talking about this week? We are talking about an amazing show that somehow no one seems to be watching, well, just ended, called Double Decker, Doug and Kirill. This is an important show. More people need to know yes. about this show. Well, that seems to Please be a yes. general method of operation is to talk about things that seemingly don't get the attention <laughs> that they deserve and only... After, you know, several years, maybe occasionally, sometimes things come around. Yeah, sex is good, but have you ever recommended an anime and had people watch it on your recommendation? <laughs> I always find it very funny when I see some show that's being released and then it gets noticed by because some podcaster reviews it. And then we say, uh, we reviewed that about eight years well, ago. Well, it just means that we weren't being yeah, listened to. We're like uh, right. Cassandra. Fate it's a prophesized <laughs> truth, but not be believed. The reason is that we're not on YouTube, but that's okay because we're finally getting with it where all the hip kids are doing it. As many of you know, there's a website called Patreon. Yes. We were basically forced into this one because as it turns we're out- We're only how many years late? Only a couple. They sent us an email as they were first starting off saying like, hey, we're launching this site called Patreon. And I was <laughs> Any of this shit. <laughs> and, and as it turns out that that one actually kind of took off. And so it took off so much that they said starting as of May this year, they're going to up the rates for all new Patreons created. And so they were like, but if you create a Patreon before the so-and-so cutoff date, we'll grandfather you in the old rate. And so we said, fine, we'll just throw something together. And so there is now an Anime World Order Patreon, and you'll never guess what the address is. That's right. It's patreon.com slash anime world order, all one word. As it turns out, through the power of our meager social media presence on twitter.com, we made like basically one tweet each, two or three total. And as of the time of this recording, we've got 30 people who actually signed up for the Patreon just based on that. There are no tiers. There are no rewards. We don't give a shit. You're not getting anything fancy like how real podcasts or Patreons do. Well, like, well, we we might do something later. Maybe later. We had to. We, we had to out. put this up pretty quickly. Like so many so. things that this podcast does, it was done in haste just to hit a deadline, and then we did it on the rationale of we'll fix it later. It will probably never be fixed, but. For the time being, you can go and pledge kind of whatever, a dollar, five, ten. Some people pledged even more than that. And it is on a per creation basis, not a per month, because, hey, there are times where we miss months. So we're not going to do you dirty like that by making you pay a month for a time when we put out nothing. 
Well, this could work against you as well, because if we suddenly start ramping oh, up yeah. and put out like three episodes in That's a month. That's actually then, the hidden uh, scheme ski, right? You know, where we just say, no, I think yes, Patreon is so. set up where you can like set up a max cap on like, all right, well, this much or this maximum cap. Coming up, 30 days of Anime World Order. Every, Every day, day, putting out a podcast. podcast. Just <laughs> five minutes long. Minion Fogarty style. But that being said, Patreon immediately flagged the account as suspicious. And they said they'd get back to us within one to two days. They have not gotten back to us within one to two days. Who's to say if any of this is real? But that site is out there. Again, it's purely a tip jar. If you just want to, you know, throw us a dollar or whatever loose change you got, you can do so there if you don't do the whole Twitch thing. We've been kind of reticent to do anything like this because, like we said, we just can't really figure out tiers. I, I remember one person suggested a Watch Hentai with Gerald tier. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Webcam it, it would be It would be commentary. It would be commentary, you know, mm-hmm. as the method. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we come up with if we come up with something. And if you have ideas, let us know. We are open to suggestions. Yeah, the website is www.animeworldorder.com, where you can find links to this episode as well as all of our previous episodes. You can also send us an email at animeworldorder at gmail.com. In the last episode, we talked about how we were going to be doing a charity stream at the start of the month. We participated in Replay, a retro video game-themed charity stream supporting War Child UK. And we exceeded the amount raised the previous time we did in 2018 because this year we raised $405. So thanks very much for your donations to that. If you would like to watch the stream, it is saved. You can go to Gerald's Twitch channel and look in the VODs, twitch.tv slash CrusherGerald. You can watch us play some anime retro video games of variable merit. So, let's see. Do we want to go to the letters or do we want to go to the news? Let's, let's, because let's there read is, a letter first. As always, we love hearing from you. Be sure to comment on our... We're very our, antiquated because uh, we call emails letters, by the way. Yes, email, <laughs> yeah. Email, yeah. I don't think we've gotten a physical letter ever. I actually was just reading a thing about recommendations for like sending financial aid information to people for if you're a college. And one of the things was like, maybe if you're sending it via email, don't call it a letter because that might be confusing. <laughs> And I was like, oh, am I that old now? Uh, so we got this telegram here that is, <laughs> this is from uh, Scott, and he says, Dear AWO team, I've never written a fan letter in my considerably See, long he's life. also I'm actu- old because he says it's a fan letter. Yes. I'm actually a little nervous writing this. I have been a fan of your show for a few years now, and I have just started to catch up with the older shows. Your shows helped me find some great anime. Daryl always has the answer at the tip of his finger, and his humor always makes me laugh. Gerald, I appreciate your opinion. I know if Gerald doesn't like it, chances are it's crap. I would much rather watch crap anime than just about anything US TV puts out. Clarissa, thank you. A much better appreciation for manga than I ever did. Your reviews are enjoyable. I always just seem to be finishing up a series right before you review it. You have been spot on. You should do more. Okay, enough with the hero worship. In several shows, you talked about what it means to be a fan of anime. I'm trying to be a better, quote, fan, but I can't remember names of any kind, English or Japanese. I had to go to the AWO website just to remember your names, and I have been listening to your show every day. When I go to cons, being an older person, I'm expected to know the names of writers, directors, studios of all kinds. Hell, hold hold on a second. I want to know what convention is there an expectation for the attendees to know the names of writers, <laughs> directors, studios, and all kinds of actors? Because 
Okay, well, to be fair, we have complained about the panels for some of the guest things just having their name. Mm-hmm. So maybe in that case. In that sense, like for the people who want to go to live programming and who actually care about the schedule, you have to look yeah, at the schedule yeah. and be able to suss out, okay, who the hell is this person? But yeah. most convention attendees have no knowledge of any of that stuff, to be fair. Yeah. Like, you know, let's be real here. Look, here's the thing. I'm going to be terrible, and I'm going to tell you the secret, which is half the time we don't know it either, but the internet exists. Right. It's like... <laughs> we have the luxury of, like, we're recording this. Ghost in the shell, Not, innocence, like, live... Yeah. Where people are just throwing <laughs> references at each other, and you are to assume that they've got an internal search engine in their brain. We don't have right. that, but we do have King Crimson, which allows us to edit out the parts <laughs> where we Google... These people's don't names. ask how it works. It's ju- just it don't. just works. No. Okay. Anyway, continue with the email. <laughs> Hell, I don't even remember the show titles. I can tell everything about it, just no names of any kind. I wind up just looking like an old, creepy guy with no knowledge of anime. Security, <laughs> like yelling for security. I enjoy all kinds of shows and want to talk about the great things I've seen with people who do not think I'm weird for liking cartoons. So I hatched a plan to attend cons without a being able to talk to fans without being the creepy guy, and B, a way to support my love of anime and a hobby at the same time. I combined my love of anime with woodwork and started making anime-related woodcrafts. Oh, I go to cool. local Yeah, I go to local cons as an artist and meet lots of fun fans. Sometimes my son covers the table for me so I can sit in on a few panels. Don't talk to me or I my ho- son ever again. That's basically... <laughs> I hope to grow this hobby enough so I can be an artist at a bigger con and attend some of your panels. So I absolutely think you can be a fan of anime and know absolutely nobody's name. A new truth? Thank you for the show. Please keep it up. Scott, the lumbering blacksmith. And so he sent us some photos of some of the work that he's done, which is great, by the way. I'm also curious. He, he keeps saying like he's an older guy. So is he an older guy by, like, Square Enix yeah, standards? Yeah, it's like a grizzled where, veteran, like age us? 27. <laughs> yes, the old man who's seen, like, many right. wars, 30 years old. I know. How do, how do you live? Right. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, there's, like, the old <laughs> character in an anime, and they're, like, younger than me, and I'm like, what? Japan, please. <laughs> right, it's like the beginning of Akira, the guy's beating him up, and they call him old man. He's like, I'm only 25, you assholes. <laughs> but yeah, like so this guy's website and his work is amazing. It's www.lumberingblacksmith.com. If you do a Google search, he's also got a Facebook group of all the stuff he's making. Basically, what he does is he makes wood versions of like say swords from like anime and video games and fantasy and stuff like that. So there's all kinds of I was like, about to say why blacksmith? Is he also a blacksmith? Yeah, I assume that there must be blacksmith work as well. well. So maybe he's got like uh, cosplay props, comic book things, like some of it's painted. Mm. But yeah, it doesn't look like he's primarily in metal crafting. It looks like it's mostly just woodwork. And, you know, some of it is armor things. And a lot of it's really cool stuff. And if this guy was in Artist Alley convention near you, it looks like he's mostly around, I think it's Delaware. I think that's where this guy's based out of. Okay. Okay. I may have the geography wrong on that. I mean, it's certainly a way to, like, meet a lot of people because people will come through and, like, it's a really distinctive thing to be in the artist alley. So you'll definitely stand out from everyone else. And it's the kind of thing that's really cool. Like, it's always nice to see some of that stuff that's, like, handmade. I mean, I understand some stuff it makes sense to, like, get it manufactured, like some of the keychains and charms and stuff. But, like, the handmade stuff is really nice. So that's really cool. And also, maybe... If all else fails, you can grow a big mustache if you don't have one already 
And then you can be anime Ron Swanson. Yes. You know, that's also an option. But I mean, just as a fact of like, normally when you go to the artist alley or dealer's room or something like that, there may be somebody selling like crappy flea market katana type stuff. Like, <laughs> there's not a person who's like, okay, I took a wood lathe and I made Attack on Titan 3D maneuver gear, which is what he's got yeah. a picture of right here in, in this email and the website that he sent to us. So, I mean, you know, that's something that is super cool. Like, you got kill a kill blades and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, if you can remember the name of your merchandise that you're either displaying to people or perhaps selling to someone to say, aha, well, this is the so-and-so thing from so-and-so show, or maybe you have a name tag on it, that's a good way to cheat without having like a smartphone internet thing to help you look things up. You are probably going to be the only guy in the artist alley who is A, an older guy doing B, homemade props like this. Artist alleys are kind of homogenous now, unfortunately. And yeah. the very little, I'm sad because you, you go through the artist alley and it's just rows and rows of the same stuff over and over again. So I have I like been to excited see. though, because I feel like I've been seeing more booths at artist alleys where people are also doing fan comics. Yeah. I think maybe like the printing is getting a little bit easier for people to do because I'm seeing a little bit more of that. So that's good. Yeah. And depending on the convention you go to, some artist alleys are like, oh, crafts belong in the dealer's table or whatever. Yeah. Um, just because they feel threatened. Because we know the, the secret sauce of artist alley, apparently how it seems to work is somebody finds a supplier that can do something. Sure. And they keep that to themselves. Slowly it gets out. So maybe they found somebody who is a really good, like, cheap printer or something? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe just the prices have gone down recently. I don't know. But yeah, but I, I like to see variety in the artist's alley. It's rough because I understand that the artists have to try to make some money. So you have to kind of do the things that are popular. But I always right. appreciate the artists. I mean, they have to pay to be there. So right. I don't begrudge so, them at least having to, like, make back the money that they spent <laughs> to, like, buy an artist alley table. Right. It, I, I understand yeah. the artist that feels the need to balance the popular with the stuff that they like. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but, like, to go back to his email where he says, like, oh, he hopes to grow it enough so we can get an artist at a bigger con. I think it actually doesn't work that way. Like, I think it's not like the bigger cons say, oh, we, with very rare exceptions, might I add. They usually don't say, oh, you're an artist of some renown. We'll invite you to the artist alley or invite you to dealers. Yeah, More. no, you have to like apply. And, and yeah, and... it's like a really, really short window of time that people have to apply because all the tables yeah. get sold out super quick and people go right. on wait lists or people have to go to lottery. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, different conventions have slightly different ways of doing it. Like, some of them, it's a lottery, and they'll, like, randomly pick, like, who out of all the people that applied will get it. And sometimes they do, like, actually screen people, and they have, like, some, like, certain rules about, like, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so it varies a little bit from place to place. But yeah, I mean, really, there's no reason that you can't just at least apply to get in. I actually think that if there is a juried selection, he would have you a would get high hit. probability of getting you would, They would be very likely I would think you. so. Because because yeah, it would be because, distinctive. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. else yes. like this. It's not like, do we get this person who's this artist? It's not like there's a big competition for who is making woodcrafts, scythes, and, you know, anime weaponry or, like, you know, iconic things. It's not like you're making something that they're going to sue you over. For example, a lot of the things they shut artist alleys down for is, like, if you have, like, the logo or the insignia of something. Yeah, yeah. like logo trademarks. Yeah. Whereas this is not right, that. So I hope that you can make it to some of those cons and, uh, you know, send us some pictures of your work. Yeah, I think as long as you can afford it, like, just go ahead and apply and you may be able to get in. 
it's not like the issue would be that you're not like really well known. Yeah, it's basically like, right. the issue just would the, be just space, space, and transporting all your stuff and and paying for their yeah. yeah. And, and if stuff. it's a lottery, then it's just the luck of you know whoever happens to get drawn. So yeah, yeah. I know that there is this this one artist that pisses me off because this person, the only thing that they do is the top most popular things. They are never at their table. They actually hire people to be at their table, and they usually get like four or five tables per con Ugh. and under different names. Yeah, that way they and fake out the... That's really crappy. Really like, don't yes. take tables from other but people. You, they should be able to tell, like, when I say they at the convention, I mean, because each time this person does this, it's like, okay, you would think the people in charge are running the alley look and see, oh, all right, well, mm-hmm. it was this. And then by that point, obviously, it's too late to take the table away because... Right. I mean, once I found out who this artist was, I was like, oh, yeah, I see them all over the place. And the person at the booth is not the artist. They're like, no, they just hire someone to be at the booth. I feel like that is against the spirit of the artist alley, which is meant to be, you know, the artist is there. This is their work and they're selling it to you. So So anyway, this person's website is they've got a couple, but Facebook.com slash the lumbering blacksmith. Or www.lumberingblacksmith.com without a the in front. So go check that person out. Thank you very much for writing in. And we will give you a one-year Got Anime membership at our sponsor, WriteStuffAnime.com, for writing in. So look forward to that in your email box. Good place to get some good stuff. So probably the biggest news is that we are no longer... Probably by the time that this episode comes out, we will no longer be in the Showa period of Japan. Or Heisei, I'm sorry. <laughs> Heisei, we were, we're not I in the I was Showa. reading the Shigeru Mizuki like, over the past year. Like I bought all five oh, volumes right. of the Showa History of Japan. And, you know, oh, it's I like, see. Tezuka's been dead for a while. The Emperor died in 1989, Daryl. Yes, you know, yes. It's, uh, yes. You know, but again, the way to remember is Heisei Taniki Wars Pompoko. We should probably explain for people who don't understand. When we talk about Showa era and Heisei era, this is the Emperor of Japan sort of sets like the name of that right. era and they're different they're different lengths of time a lot of people refer to you know work from this what's it the 70s and the 80s and back as the showa era well no it's based on the emperor's reign uh, more or less that's what, what i meant right. that's, that's exactly like, what it starts in like 30s you know well but what, a yeah. lot of people when they say the showa era they're they're referring to that period and back and so we got to be careful because we talk about kaiju people and tokusatsu people they like to split that up weirdly Right. In 1989, the emperor passed away, and then it became the Heisei era. Now, the emperor has not passed away. The emperor is actually retiring. He's abdicating his throne, which is rare. I don't believe that's ever happened in Japan, in Japanese history. We are now in the very, very cool... We will soon be, as of this recording, by the time you listen to it, we'll probably be in the very cool-sounding... Rewa. Yes, era. not and people found out like as soon as they announced that this would be the name of the era that Rayo was like the name of like a porn song for like like a, a song for like one of those porn <laughs> games or whatever and people were making fun of that. But that will be the new name and they were like keeping this under lock and key. Like they were saying if any of the newspapers or social media leaks this ahead of time, we are going to change the name of the Imperial Era so that it does not wow. get leaked prematurely. Not something they had to worry about in 1989. Well, no, they were, so. they were talking about that, yeah, <laughs> less so much back then, yeah. But, you know, nowadays it's like people trying to get the scoops. So uh, with that in mind, 
it would appear that a lot of our great Showa and Heisei era progenitors of Japanese comics are deciding, well, it's time to check out of this plane of existence and ascend to the throne of heaven, so to speak. So basically, it's the Hudsucker proxy scene. Tim Robbins walking into the building just as the other guy jumps out. So Tim Robbins is the Rewa <laughs> era. And so I'm very sad to say that two very famous and very prominent figures in the world of anime and manga have passed away, what, two days within apart? Within a very no, short span of time from one another. The announcements came apart, actually, within yeah. a couple days of one another. But yeah, the times yes. of death were a little more spaced out. It's just the way it works in Japan is that when somebody dies, that doesn't become publicly known for until after like there's been a funeral and maybe a week or two has passed uh, an occasion. And then you hear about it being announced. So the first person right. who died was Kazuhiko Kato, or as... Everyone else generally knows him from the world over. Monkey Punch, the creator of Lupin the Third, has passed away at uh, the age of, I believe, 81. I mean, that's old, but again, yeah. like, I kind of expect people to kind of live to like 95 nowadays. Uh, but, I think uh, the life expectancy eh. is less now for people. In America, it okay. is. In America, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, maybe we, not Japan. Yeah, so the, right. the fascinating well, thing about Monkey Punch. We don't have health care. Yeah, we no, don't. We and don't. we're probably not going to for a while. But nope. the thing about Monkey Punch is that he never wanted to be called monkey punch. He was like between jobs just taking gigs. And he just like took a thing that was like a three month temp job. This was back like probably early days of manga, maybe like still rental manga era. I don't remember exact details. And the editor looked at his art and said, you know, this thing is so crazy. No one can really tell where you're from because he was very influenced by like Mort Drucker, Mad Magazine era, Sergio Argones, the Gru guy. So they said like, Oh, well, We'll give you a foreign sounding name. And he's like, I can't think of a name. It's like, your name? It's Monkey Punch. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. This name sucks, but uh, <laughs> three months time, I'll just be done with it. But the thing he made during that job was Lupin the Third, which became so famous that it's still going to this day. There's still new Lupin the Third anime being made this year. There was a new special, the Black Jacket yep. uh, Goodbye Partner special. And now there's Fujiko's yep. Lie, which is about to come out, which is from Takeshi Koike, who's already made Jigen's Gravestone and Bloodspray of Goemon Ishikawa. And so these characters have endured for over half a century. And even though Monkey Punch made other things, we can never forget the all-time great classic that is Gundo Musashi. Or right. Scoopers. Or it will Scoopers. live forever. I think nowadays people are more ready to discover Cinderella Boy than they were back when it came out even about a decade ago because it was sort of a oh, yeah, I forgot body about that. swap your yeah. name kind of thing where you had the the guy, the hard-boiled sort of detective who, you know, at the stroke of midnight or whatever it was, would turn into a lady and like swap sort of personas with, uh, like, I think she was a thief. I think I have that, that order right. But I think people kind of ignored that mm. one back then. Maybe people might be more interested in, in that now. But Lupin just was so big and so famous that effectively stole away his career, so to speak. But yeah, yeah. Monkey Punch died from pneumonia, which is a uh, recurring trend that we're going to find. I still remember the one year that he came to... That's interesting. Was he already sick? Because I know a lot of times, like... People whose immune systems are already like compromised from something then else may get pneumonia, pneumonia or cold. Right, or something yeah. pneumonia. It must have been something else that because yeah, usually pneumonia is something that comes on due to something. Yeah, else. we'll assume that he did not get the Lupin AIDS and or the Mamo AIDS or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, and then contract pneumonia. We'll just say uh, for the sake <laughs> of diplomacy that he passed away from pneumonia, which is all that we know. But yeah, just the fact that you're that old. 
you know, right, right. even like a slight accident. Or... Yeah, your immune system's already probably. Yeah, I will not never forget. Good. I did. I did get to meet Monkey Punch. He came to Florida. That's right. And, so like uh, the weirdest con. Yeah, like, to MetroCon. What was it, MetroCon? It was MetroCon, yeah. It was Metro. Sure. What a weird guest for them to get. And it was as Gundam Musashi was coming out. So yeah. what would happen was that con was there used to be like some sort of art gallery of some sort there that used to have showings. And so they would sort of piggyback on that. Right, because they, didn't they, they get, did they get Amano? Yeah, they got Amano that yeah. They got Amano, but I got a lot of video from this, which I tried to post on my Twitter account. But anyway, the, the interesting thing about that, as Daryl mentioned, was that as he was there, Gundam Musashi was coming out. This was 2006. Unless you were super duper internet, you had no idea what this was or even how to get it. And during his panel, he talked about, oh, well, I created this character... And it was supposed to look like this, and then the studio took it and did something called Gundu Musashi, and then he pulled up YouTube and showed, like, scenes from Gundu Musashi, and everyone in the audience was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> we have no clue what this is, what he's talking about. The whole time he was just, like, about. trying to disassociate himself from that production before Gundu right. Musashi full-on became a meme for how legendarily ill-conceived all the animation in it was. But it was fascinating because he talked about like how he came up with the original character design for Lupin and then he designed Jigen by just putting a hat on Lupin. And, you know, we have the video. Uh, A hat and a beard and a cigarette. (laughs) Like it was literally the same exact design, hat, beard, cigarette, Jigen. So So many character designers. It's just like the same face. It's... A refreshing, like, just admit it. It's like, yeah, I just gave him different hair, put a hat on him. Yoshiyuki Sadamoto did a fascinating... With the Nadia where, to uh, Shinji. Yeah, he was the character designer yeah. for Nadia and Shinji. From Evangelion. Uh, from Evangelion and right. Nadia's Secret of Blue Water. And apparently they are, Nadia and Shinji are the exact same character. Yes, just, I think I remember many nerds having a yeah, weird uh, like, crisis of sexuality. Because, right, you know, whether or not they were cranking off to one or the other, now it's like, oh, no. <laughs> But But yeah, I mean, I think the legacy of Monkey Punch can't be understated in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think it's exaggerating to say he may just be the father of modern seinen. The character Lupin the Third and that audience that it was for was sort of a breakout thing to be like, hey, here's comics for this older adult audience that used like a lot of just really lurid content and things of that nature. People weren't really expecting that in 1967. I mean, the Lupin anime wasn't the first anime aimed at adults. This is, you know, how far Monkey Punch extends that, you know, the anime was this adult anime in prime time that had, you know, advertisements for cigarettes and cars attached to it. And liquor. We must have his liquor. And liquor. Lots and lots of liquor. (laughs) So I'm sure that there are some really great Lupin the third liquor ads that we've never seen. Well, we so. did see the Esso gas station ads, and that's just about as good. So, yeah, I mean, that's a huge loss. On that note, Adult Swim has announced that Lupin the Third Part 5 will be airing on, I believe, June 15th is the start date. Don't quote me to that, but that is going to come out. So look forward to it. Nice. It, it was a really good series. Great. I mean, I liked Part 4, even though it kind of lulled a bit. Part 5 is superior, in my opinion. So Yeah, we should watch that. Yeah, yeah. I need so. to watch part five because we watched part four and I was kind of like, eh, about it. I wasn't sure if a single storyline worked for Lupin. 
Yeah, so because that was the first time that we'd seen I think it was a also one just that solid storyline. The one ongoing storyline I just wasn't like super in love with. So right, so part mm. five is like kind maybe, of the best of both worlds yeah. because you've got an ongoing story, but usually it's broken up into like a couple episodes at a time, and then that story ends, mm. and then you have one-offs that are tributes to incarnations of Lupin in the past. Like you know, okay. you'll have like an episode that's done in the style of like the crazy pink jacket Lupin or another one that's like the green jacket era. Oh, okay. Another one's like, because they'd, they'd even bring in guest directors for those spots. And then there'd still be like, and now the current one, which is like a very like here, we take the concept of Lupin and bring him to the modern day. So it's like, you know, very famously the first arc people focused on because it's the first couple episodes where utilizing things like blockchain, the blockchain and, wasn't it? Yeah. you know, people are using <laughs> social media against Lupin the third and, you know, all sorts of you know, the, the dark web is <laughs> oh, put on a hit on, you know, like that kind of stuff is some of the earlier episodes. And I thought it was really, really well done. So I hope people do check that out. It's great to at least see that Monkey Punch lived to see his creation become such a huge thing. I'm sure it's always a little bit difficult for somebody when their career is so dominated by one thing and they try to do other stuff, but it just never really catches on. But at the same time, like just to do something that's so influential and that so many people love must be amazing. Even if the other thing you make is the Bison Wild Saga (laughs) (laughs) or the Kerberos Saga. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, we will have to talk about those uh, hopefully later because there was a damn it, Daryl. Now Brian Ra is going to come fight. He's going to fight us. I, I, look, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry that uh, you know it's a 20 year anniversary of Jinro, and Jinro remains the best entry in the Kerbero saga, and it's the one that Mamoroshi only wrote. He didn't direct. Uh, that has not changed in 20 years. But. Mamoroshi is not dead. There's been a second death, and this one hits really close to home for me because we've talked about it many a time, but the death in question is none other than Seishu Tawaraya, or as he's better known, Kazuo Koike has passed away of pneumonia at age 82, and his last tweets on this mortal coil were him talking about how Monkey Punch just passed away and how they had worked together. Uh, so, oh. you know, yep. it's, it's very unfortunate. Kazuo Koike, as we've talked about, you know, in the earliest episodes of this podcast. We reviewed Crying Freeman way, way, way back. We, Kazuo Koike, another pioneer in seinen, basically wrote tons and tons of stuff, best known through world over for Lone Wolf and Cub, but, you know, he was working on Golgo 13. He wrote the th- lyrics to Mazinger Z and Great Mazinger, done stuff with Gona Guy, he's done stuff with Monkey Punch, you name it. This guy has, you know, made a ton of stuff. He had a school where he taught people and his yeah. students are people like Rumiko Takahashi, who created Rama One Half, you know, Keisuke Itagaki. Tetsuo Hara. Yeah, Tetsuo Hara created yeah. this, yeah. I mean, whether you like his stuff or not he's also been so influential not just through his own work which i mean lone wolf and cub alone has influenced so many things unfortunately we can blame it for frank miller but (laughs) but just that alone even has been so influential but also just like you said from the people that he mentored and educated and he was a rare case in that he was a writer only like he was not an artist he right, was, and then he just worked with He worked with people, which is a little bit more unusual in the world of manga. Usually it's uh, the person is doing both. And he wasn't even a writer but, by trade when he started being a writer. He was a guy no. who 
was originally going to be a lawyer, but he just he couldn't pass the bar exam. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> guess I'll write yeah, longer. Well, then, no, right. then what he does was he, he was working on, uh, like he wrote a lot about golf because he was working in like golf yeah. uh, like uh, as part of like, I think he actually worked for the government, like uh, Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry. So golf and Mahjong were somehow uh, involved in that. He didn't start his career in manga until roughly 1968. So just after Lupin the Third, thereabouts. Mm. So that means he was in his 30s when he even decided, like, you know what? Maybe I'll take a comics gig. And that's where he land- where he took his comic gig was with Takasa Ito, Gogo 13. And so that kind of was in the early, early Gogo 13 stuff. He's sort of like a founding script writer for coming up with that because people forget that Saito Productions makes more than just Golgo 13. They make a shit ton of other things. It's just the uh, heroes generally always looks like Golgo 13. But <laughs> it's like how Tetsu Ohara, like they all look like yep, Kenshiro. I mean, like yes. we said, yep. the people who he trained up made so many things that, like uh, I said, Keisuke Tagaki, he's the guy who created Grappler Baki, which Grappler Baki is like the only thing he ever needed to create. Because it's still going. I mean, Yuji, Yuji right. Hori, the writer for Dragon yeah, Quest. Yeah, he, he, he like came the, up with the that game. game. Hideyuki Kikuchi, the writer for Vampire Hunter D and Wicked City. I mean, they the, all trained under him. So he's always said, and you can kind of see this if you read any of his work, is that he says he doesn't write plot. He writes character. And then the yeah. plot is so, written recursively to fit like this character conflict. And it's like, well, right. I need a character yeah. whose desire is for, hmm... Oh, yes. What shall I do about this time? How about revenge? Oh. And, and then, you know, this will be different from the other time I wrote a comic about revenge. Um, <laughs> it's like how when they were making fun of the Hardy Boys and it's like the smugglers, right. yes. you know, whatever. Everything I've ever read from him is about somebody who was who wants revenge. But if you want the most distilled, short sort of orange concentrate version of Kazuo Koike. Go to 1989, at, circa 1990. Yeah, Kazuo Koike. Look online. And uh, his, his partner in crime, number two, Ryoichi Ikigami, because these guys made some of the most dangerous comics of all time. I mean, unfortunately, not all of them have been released <laughs> in English for our protection, but comics one in the early 2000s decided that the world was ready. They were wrong, by the way, that the world was ready <laughs> for two of these publications, one of which was Wounded Man, which was from the early 1980s. Which they made a really crappy anime People say of, the, the way, later like... episodes got better, but I don't know how you can possibly... I feel like the power of Koike, it's like it's too contained in this manga form. Like, you can't draw it. It's like it loses something. Because even Crying Freeman, it's just like the closest, is still like slightly, Way slightly diluted off, in anime form compared to the manga. Do you think like when it gets translated into like an actual like scene with like people talking and like motion, it seems like too like ridiculous? Well, there's or? a possibility, but here's the thing: Christoph Gans, who made the live-action Crying Freeman film, which stunningly faithful to that first volume of the manga, more so than even the first episode of the anime. When you see that film, and it's like this shit's crazy, yo. You may mm. be thinking like, yeah, maybe there's uh you know some certain lack of giving a shit about uh temporal there's a scene in crying freeman in the manga which i'll remember for the rest of my life is it the eyeball 
That's no. offered. No, no that, that's, that's offered. That's offered. God damn it. I always forget two because volumes. they're all just so fucking bonkers. Yes. Two <laughs> volumes of offered. It, Comics One is long out of business, but I promise you patriots have scanned the entire thing. So it is digitally preserved. Go read offered in celebration. Two volumes and you're done. Of, of also, if there's, you do find somebody selling them, they're probably no more than five right. bucks. And we did right. review but, offered, yeah. I think, in an early episode. Very early on, but yeah, Crying Freeman. There was a scene in Crying Freeman where that was set on a beach, and I don't even know the context of this scene, but I just remember that at this point in the manga, somehow the main character, Crying Freeman, got hold of a submarine, like all heroes do, <laughs> and... There was just a scene where Look, it's the part submarine... of the hero's journey, man. Like right. eventually, you get to the part where you get when a you take over the one hundred day dragons. <laughs> yes, you you have your own mafia submarine, and the submarine emerges from the water. And standing on top of the submarine in a row are a whole bunch of men dressed in suits holding machine guns that are just firing onto something on the beach. So I don't even remember, remember what they is were. That but... it, the surprise is that you turn a page and suddenly. A submarine has quickly emerged from the water and the gunmen have immediately gotten onto it in the span of a page. So it's, it's like a baby's sense of like object permanence. Where, right. like, and that transition just doesn't work in motion. I think it would work like amazingly well, but I think that the directors look at that page and just say, hmm, how can we make this happen? Well, how do we, that being <laughs> how said, do do this? you know, the most famous Kazuo Koike creation is Lone Wolf and Cub, which was very famously yeah. adapted into live action multiple times. So that was mm -hmm. able to be translated over. It was an early manga that came out in the yep. U.S. And yes. so it was really influential on a lot of American comic book artists in the And 80s. the films were edited together to make Shogun Assassin, which became like a cult sort of grindhouse hit in that era as well overseas. And, and same thing with Lady Snowblood, you know, was made into movies. Wasn't Kill Bill basically it Lady was. Snowblood? I mean, they, they, they took, yes. the, took the song, uh, Shira Nohana. Well, and Koike wrote those uh, lyrics even for that song. So there are visual references to Lady Snowblood. The plot is very inspired by it. So that's very like clear cut influence there. Similarly, Discotech, they've released all sorts of lurid live action Kazuo Koike things. They've got Bohachi Bushido, which is a insane oh film. There's the Hanzo, the Razor trilogy, which is all about the hard boiled cop who every morning trains his dick by fucking a bag of rice to make his dick hard as steel. And he uses yes. this as an interrogation tool. You know, it, it's definitely a, a very pink uh, you know, era. God damn it, Koke. They've got to solve mysteries in Hanzo the Razor. Like, we find a woman, but the only lead we've got is that she doesn't have hair in her vagina. Boys, get to it. You know, um... So Koke was Jesus like, Christ. you know, totally like out there but i mean so like is koike the most concentrated form of like dad fiction i think so i mean you know oh. on the, the planet thing is, is like yeah you know he has his will eisner award he's he was the second person it's like <laughs> he doesn't have to give a fuck anymore, the first but I, did he ever give you a know, fuck koike really got the second feel like yeah he just you can see from the look on his face when you got like pick up those volumes that offered. He knows what you're about to fucking read. You're about to read <laughs> some people who decide to rob a bank and they say as conditions for releasing the hostages, they want the president of the United States to show up, give them a salute and say, have a nice day. And then the president of the United States shows up and says, have a nice day. And then they go up to the roof, strip naked, get shot by the police copters from Rambo, start <laughs> fucking as they think, don't fly. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then the last shot you see of them is them falling to their deaths off a high-rise building as the rising sun shows up <clears throat> at, as they're banging, having been riddled by helicopter bullets. And that's their last scene in that comic. And it's not even right. the end of the comic. So, you know. I also love that he would, like, go to places to do, like, all of this research and then just write the most unrealistic, like, nonsense Are you shit? saying Mad Bull 34 like- is not a realistic <laughs> depiction of New York City life? Because I think Mad Bull 34 is the realist. Like, you're telling me that that's not how cops behave? I think now in the era of cell phones, we know, actually, this is how the cops really are. It's not, Tokoike was not okay, that's, fantasizing that's that, you know, the cops will just kill people. That's true. Are you telling me that there isn't a guy who has trained cats to jump at you with shotguns <laughs> on their backs so that the cats, like, you know, people who love cats won't be able to, you know, do anything because the adorable cat will jump at them, but a shotgun <laughs> on the back of this cat will blow and you away. And then Watery, who was Koike's student, then wrote Dog Soldier, which has a chapter in the manga which has dogs with bombs strapped to them that leap, and then the bomb goes off and blows up the Yakuza armored car. Wasn't there another one with, like, rabbits with that grenades? That was also yes. Dog Soldier. Was that also Sarawatri? No, that was, that was okay. also Dog Soldier, but, you know, that was our hero, John Kyosuke Hiba, who is blatantly just Japanese Rambo, who took the... John Kyosuke Hiba, how the grenades you? on the bunny rabbits and told the bunny rabbit to, like, you know, go over to the enemy, and then, you know, it explodes. And like, you know, so... <laughs> This is all I, I love the how, legacy. I love how there are probably people listening to this now First and are saying, are you making ever, this shit up? They, just, they heard are about you... the Patreon and they wanted to know, like, <laughs> what's the action all about? You know, this well-respected anime podcast since 2006, 2007. Yes, our Patreon will be a, an audio drama of Offered. Starring all of us. <laughs> so there. now I have to wonder. So like, was the was the gig in Wanted about the rats with the explosives like an homage to? I don't think that Mark Millar, the dog soldier, is truly willing to pay those kinds of homages. But who knows how well read Mark Millar is? I do want to say I want to point out as far as the most respected, well read comics journalist there is, the Comics Journal has the most bomb obituary of Kazuo Koike. It's written by none other than <laughs> Joe McCulloch Jog, whom we've been ripping off shamelessly since the beginning of this podcast. And we were talking about Pluto and stuff like that. He was on the case. I'm just going to read one paragraph from his very lengthy Kazuo Koike obituary. This is about the Kazuo Koike Ryoichi Ikigami debut series from the 70s, The Starving Man, a.k.a. I Ueo Boy, Patrick Macias' favorite. Oh, boy. And I quote, there are indeed few discernible limits to the expression in that series, which has never been published in the West concerning the adventures of an angry young man on a mission to avenge his fiancee, a photographer who killed herself after being raped and blackmailed by agents of political power, an incident which occupies roughly 30 pages of the first collected volume. I, Uyo boy speaks in the cadence of utter sensation, blood drenched fights abound, cars and motorcycles screamed on the highway, a mansion burns hair and dresses catching light. A villain's semen spatters the image of a lady singer on television. Many cops are shot. The Who perform in concert. Sexual violence, a good portion of it is done by the protagonist, is eroticized in a manner akin to that of the rougher pink films. I just love how he threw in the Who perform in concert as a list of what. And that actually happens, by the way. And if you go back to our earliest episodes with Patrick Macias, the reason that the Who are in that are because Koike, as he said exactly, I only write stories about my friends. <laughs> the follow-up question, do you mean to say that you were hanging out with the Who? And his response was, I only write stories about my friends. 
So the manga world will never be the same ever again. Unfortunate uh, that we've lost Kazuo Koke. These great legends, they, they must know something that we don't about this Reiwa era. Wondering now, like, is Gona Guy figuring, well, my work here is done on this world soon enough? I hope not, because we still have not gotten a, a reboot of Grandizer. So, you know, yeah. things, things got to happen. Look, I don't know what it's like in Japan, but I feel like right now almost everybody I know is like, maybe we should just, like, call it a Just check in. out. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, a huge loss in the world of crazy comics that have uh, influenced a whole generation. Oh, God, I forgot that yeah. he wrote Hanape of Bazooka he, with, with Go, Go to Guy. guy. Oh, yeah, my I God. I mean, you know, his penis is his finger, and he jacks off, he summons <laughs> demons, and ADV released that anime here. <laughs> uh, yep. A, a terrible loss. <laughs> Kazuo Koike, I don't know how you describe the guy. He's kind of yeah. everything that I wish I could write to sit down and come up with these storylines. Incredible. I suppose that Koike, 2018, he had Alzheimer's and dementia, but you know, you know, mm. there are times where he'd be lucid. And, you know, again, like we said, just a few days before he died, he tweeted out working with Monkey Punch on, you know, some stuff that never came out here. He leaves behind an incredible body of work. Monkey Punch 2, you know, even though I'm not a huge fan of his earliest loop on the third, once the TV series had come out and he started like patterning his manga after the show. Yeah, his manga is still really great. I really wish that it wasn't only Tokyo Pop that had released that loop on the third stuff. I wish that some of those would at least be re-released. The only Koike stuff that's in print is the Samurai Jidegeki stuff from Dark Yeah, Horse. the Lone Wolf and Cub, I think, is in like collected yeah, volumes Dark Horse now. has released all the Lone um, Wolf and Cub. They released all Samurai Execution which is a side story sort of thing to it they've released i know that uh, crying freeman got crying released. freeman the color um, rage which is you know the tremendous japanese depiction of black people in the samurai era <laughs> you know it, it's not like the super duper racist like you know iuao boy but you know it's still a special thing because it's about you know you not quite the yasuke level samurai the comics Wait, one stuff Koike was capable of doing something that wasn't super well, duper racist listen, i said super not super duper <laughs> but yes uh, Dark Horse did release that they called it the Color Rage though because the original Japanese title was just Colored oh. uh, if I'm not mistaken <laughs> I believe that was the name change but yes the comics one stuff you can find pretty easily at yeah. most cons and Lady Snowblood is also available online. In digital, Lady Snowblood. and remember, it has the best yes. cliffhanger ever, the second volume ends with her looming at the sight of the giant massive penis shadow it's just yeah, the shadow of pen of the penis is just over her yeah. face, and, and, and she's th just this shocked. dick is so big that it's so. just gonna kill you upon impact, lady. To be continued, which is a sort of accidentally excellent metaphor for being a woman. Yes, just yes. forever, indeed, menaced by the shadow. Forever menaced by the shadow of the, the patriarchal cock. That uh, <laughs> is the message that Kazuo Koike leaves for a generation. So. Uh, an accidental feminist message, much like Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. Yes. And a lot of his other work, there's no chance, really no chance of it being released here. That stuff is so Again, heavy like, duty. You know, it was considered heavy duty for the early 70s, the most nihilistic time in human pop culture <laughs> centuries yes. ever seen. And people were like, okay, that's a little far out there, Koike. Maybe some small, like, press will pick it up for digital. Well, I do know there was maybe, one yes. digital release of just volume man, one there of has, Mad Bull. There is some random shit on, like, Comixology that I did not know came out, and then I'm like, somebody actually released this? I think the stuff Koika did back then is so, it's, it's like almost porn. 
And it's yeah. like constant, like fighting and fucking, uh, oh. and fighting and fucking simultaneously. Yes. Right. And that's what makes comics. But they good. don't actually draw the detail it's on the dicks. So. No, it's just a. And yes. so there's no vein. It's just a lightsaber <laughs> white penis. I mean, can you imagine having to draw a scene of a guy standing in a boxing ring being forced to fuck a lady in a boxing ring while hundreds of guys look on all jacking off at the same time to it's the scene and then having to... Yes, and then not drawing any of right. those dicks. It's just, it's, and this is a real right. scene. You know, you'd so. have to do a lot of research. And, and Yoroshi Kigami, that's the kind of guy he is. He does a lot of, you know, research. And, you know, everyone is naked. You can be a fat old lady and you'll be naked in this comic book by Koike. He don't give a fuck. You know, you can <laughs> Lots tell, of body positivity, you know, I would say. Would body have positivity. To, you know, if, if were you allowed to, you would get as many dicks on the page as possible. Uh, and so, you know, yep. it's for our own protection, really. <laughs> well, maybe if the world is just... Koike is, is in heaven discussing God's pornographic film. GPX stands for God's pornographic X-rated film, and it represents the pornographic films created by God. <laughs> is the silliest localization. <laughs> I always remember it. Because it's, it's like, like so... It's one of those things where it's like Final Fantasy thirteen. Your parents named you Hope because it means hope. Maybe something <laughs> is lost in the in the translation of like, you know, you had this in two languages originally and you put it in one. You right. Know. <laughs> I'm so glad that I let you borrow that manga and that you just came back to me the next day. Or it, the, it, it was you know, the a very next short week. period of time that I consumed this. It was a very short period of time and you just you you just handed it back to me and was like, this this is it, something it's, it's else. A genius of triumph. <laughs> this, and then I bought my what own. What else copy. can you say? Yep. So uh anyway, so. I guess with that <clears> in mind. The last twenty minutes I'm sure made no, no sense too to bad. anybody. Welcome to the Emerald Order so. Podcast. Please right. support the Patreon. <laughs> We'll we should probably get on to this and review. And we'll get back All with right. the review of Double Decker, yeah. Doug, and Kirill. And talk about something slightly less offensive. But equally as <laughs> <Yes>. gay. <laughs> but real quick, before we get into it, just want to remind everybody that this episode of the Anime World Order podcast is brought to you by RightStuffAnime.com. At the end of June, a little less than two months away, they're going to be releasing Megalobox on Blu-ray. You can get the limited edition Blu-ray set. There is also a standard edition, but the limited edition difference is only about 15, 20 bucks. And with that limited edition, you get a 128 page making of booklet, along with interviews with both the Japanese and the English staff, as well as, and this is pretty rare, as you're about to hear in our upcoming review, you will get the Megalobox audio drama, a very rare extra that you don't typically see included in US anime releases. What's more, Right Stuff has an exclusive bonus because if you order from Right Stuff, you will get six character art cards included for free. These are meant to resemble the fight posters in the series. That's only on Right Stuff and it's for the same price that Amazon is charging, about 70 bucks. Shipping will be free for that because it is over $50 and you probably won't have to pay tax on it either, unlike Amazon. So if you liked Megalobox, maybe you saw it on Crunchyroll, maybe you watched the fairly recently concluded Adult Swim broadcast of it, you may want to seriously consider buying the physical media version of it because, hey, you never can tell when these licenses expire. Cat's eye, the license for that just expired. As of right this second, it's still on Crunchyroll, but I guarantee you one day it's just going to be gone just like that, maybe as soon as in 24 hours from now. So that show, all 73 episodes of it, are just 
gone for the time being. Who knows? Maybe Discotech will relicense it the way they've licensed Rescued City Hunter, but that announcement has not happened today. There's no guarantee of it. So by all means, use streaming services like Netflix and Crunchyroll and what have you to watch anime. But for the titles that you like, seriously think about buying them because you never know. The website, once again, is www.rightstufanime.com. If you click the link from our website, www.animeworldorder.com, we will get a small commission for any purchases you make. So check them out. We haven't had a bad experience with them. Well, ever. And now, let's talk about a very important show that not enough people watched. Shockingly for us, this show actually just finished. Yeah, by our standards, usually we take a long time to get to these things. Yeah, we are only yeah, about four months late. after. The, well, technically a couple weeks, because it really only just ended for the true believers. Yeah, maybe fashionably late instead of just hopelessly behind. And that is Double Decker, Doug and Kirill, a show which I think a lot of it can be summed up by the fact that the title is a pun because it is a detective show. Decca means detective, and there are two of them. That's right, it's a buddy cop show. Basically, um, Fujo Kryptonite. So, well, it's the sequel to the original Fujo Kryptonite that changed the world of Fujo Kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, yes, and indeed there are some lovely fanfiction plots like straight up in this show. But yes, yeah, so to just set this up, I thought that we had reviewed this, but apparently not. But in 2011, which I can't believe it's actually been like eight years. The decade How began with one and the decade ended with yes. another. So in 2011, a series came out by Sunrise called Tiger and Bunny. Tiger and Bunny was a really popular show and was kind of unique at the time. Like now it's less so because now we have My Hero Academia yeah. and Punch Man. But at the time, Tiger and Bunny was pretty unique because it was a superhero show. Like a Western American style superhero show rather than like a common Rider Tokusatsu sort of inspired thing. Yeah, costumes and everything. Yeah, yeah, in the vein of like American superheroes. And so at the time, like there wasn't really other stuff that was doing that. And I feel like it must have paved the way, I think, for these other ones that we're seeing. Yeah, like now. I remember back then, I think part of the reason why we didn't review it on the show is because I'd reviewed it for Otaku USA magazine. Oh, yeah. And yeah. at the time, I had predicted like, oh, this is going to break through and be like the big hit as far as like superhero fans will start to watch anime. I was wrong. It wasn't Tiger and Bunny, but it ended up being My Hero Academia that ended up being yeah. that show. Well, My Hero Academia, I feel like, fits, like, the overall, like, feel, because it's so action-oriented, which Tiger and Bunny is, and but... And they couldn't get Tiger and Bunny on TV. They tried really hard. That's the big thing. It was one of the earliest simulcasts, like, it was simulcast on, on Hulu through the, like, Viz 
was releasing it. And so I thought like, okay, the next step now is to get it on the Cartoon Network. Right. And that just didn't and happen. Apparently it's not with but, lack yeah. of trying. Apparently Cartoon Network looked at it and said, this is too weird. Yeah, they didn't Which is want weird it. because anime yeah. fans looked at that and said, this is the most Western style anime we've ever seen. <laughs> like, why right. couldn't this work? Yeah, it seems like something that would be like super accessible to people that don't watch anime. Precisely because it's like this very familiar superhero format. And Tiger and Bunny was also like a really funny show. Like part of the gimmick was that all of the superheroes basically served as like advertising. Which is very funny to watch now because a lot of the advertising on them are defunct defunct businesses. businesses. (laughs) Right. The premise of Tiger and Bunny was like sort of combination of superheroes with reality television. Right. And so they had like the NASCAR style sponsorships on them. But like it also marked like a sort of shift as far as like the main character was unlike what was typically accepted as a main character for anime because the main character, Tiger and Bunny, the, uh, the quote tiger of it was a, a adult with a you know, elderly anime dad with a kid. Uh, yeah. so, you know, he's the grizzled old man, you know, is aged what? 35 or something. Like, yeah. I don't remember how old. Kotex Look, they is. knew that that DILF market needed to be plumbed. So. I mean, he was kind of the original yeah, one was the though, first. right? Like, cause but, you know, before Fujo's you know, realized the time, they wanted DILFs. Yeah well, yeah, well, yeah, like people, like it was anathema for these guys to have beards and stuff like that until Kotetsu came along with his hat and, you know, <laughs> awoke everyone to their, yes. uh, you know, next abilities. And well, so, yes, yeah. he ends up being paired up with a guy who looks like Farrah Fawcett. Um, <laughs> and so there's like a weird sort of buddy copish dynamic in Tiger and Bunny. It's a superhero thing, but it's also like a buddy cop show because you've got like the two characters and they're kind of different in personality. And like you've got the one who's like the veteran and the one who's like the new guy. And so that leads us into Double Decker. So Tiger and Bunny was like hugely popular, right? And then it ended. They had a couple movies. They had a recap movie. And then they had a a movie that was an original Mm -hmm. story. A long time went by and I think people were kind of hoping like, are we going to get like another Tiger and Bunny project? And then in January of last year of 2018, Sunrise on their Twitter posted a thing saying there's going to be a new Tiger and Bunny project. And everybody was real excited. And then in March, they posted and said, okay, here's a website for this new thing. Instead of it actually being a sequel to Tiger and Bunny, what they announced was Double Decker, Doug, and Kirill. So basically what they said is that they called it a, um, a quote unquote like buddy series and that it's in the vein of Tiger and Bunny because it's that two character like buddy kind of thing. It has a f- similar flavor to Tiger and Bunny, although its jokes are sort of based on different things. And this one actually literally is a buddy cop show. And then in September, the show actually came out and it ran for 13 episodes plus like three extra EX episodes the last one of which just aired for some reason so tiger and buddy like we said was really huge but i feel like not a lot of people are watching double decker and i don't know how much of it is due to people were mad that it wasn't a new tiger and bunny or whether people just don't know about it i think it's a combination of a couple things so for one it's been in terms of anime fan generation time, quite some time between Tiger and Bunny and Double Decker. I think like a lot of the people who got in to anime and love Tiger and Bunny have gotten away from anime and walked away from Mm. it and haven't come back since it's been like, yeah, maybe so, you know, there's been a couple of iterations of uh, of people who like get in are really big in their high school or middle school years and then drift away from it. And so there's that 
aspect of it. There's another aspect of it who it's like they were hoping that it was going to be more Tiger and Bunny. And then it's not because the characters aren't the same characters. And it's just ostensibly set like somewhere in the same world, but not really. Well, then, yeah, probably not. Like it's kind of. Uh, it's ambiguous. Movie. Yeah, it's a little. Unclear. But they have two sons. So probably. Not. Right. And then like in the first episode, for example, there's some hints that it's a prequel to Tiger and I Bunny. I mean, really? Because, for example, Agnes, who is the reality show producer on Tiger and Bunny, she's like a young sort of reporterish kind of backstage right. person. So it's like, OK, so this must be before all that has happened. Yeah, I don't so, think it's been completely clarified whether or not it is in the same universe. Yeah, it whether could be an prequel, AU, could be a prequel. I mean, well, I was assuming yeah. prequel, but it's, you know, in any case, but literally, you could watch the show and not have and anything. not know that it's tied into yeah. something. It doesn't really yeah. matter. You don't need to have watched Tiger and Bunny. I mean, you should watch Tiger and Bunny because it's also very good. But you don't need to watch it to watch this because it's a totally different thing. The other thing I've noticed that it, there does seem to be a disparity as far as Double Decker being reasonably popular in Japan, but not popular in the United States mm. because it is getting the extra media and things like that in Japan for things like, say, drama CDs and extra OAV episodes and that sort right. of stuff. And there is more merch coming out. So I think it seems to be doing reasonably well. So hopefully there'll be more. Whereas in the United States, like, yeah, it, it just it came out on Crunchyroll and no one really knew what to make of it. And I think part of it, because it's not so explicitly superhero-ish in its setup, it's more mm -hmm. like cop show type things. I think maybe for the fact that a lot of anime fans skew younger, maybe there isn't as much for them to latch on to. Because, you know, we've got a million like cop show type things here. And this is sort of yeah. making, it's not even an homage to current sort of cop shows. It's an homage to like 80s, 90s style right, right. things. And like the buddy cop formula is not really really a thing that is earnestly made so much to people who are like, if you're 13, you're like, what the hell right. is this? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. We'll talk about the references a little bit. So just to describe like the setup, since presumably a lot of people who are listening to this haven't watched it, it is a cop series. It is set in a fictional setting. It's set in the city state of Lis Valletta. It's some kind of alternate universe and there's like some technology that doesn't exist, but it's not really like a sci-fi series. It's just sort of like a little bit different. It feels more like the creators were like, what things from movies do we like? Okay, let's put that in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of those aspects are to make the show less subject to be dated. I remember, right. like, uh, for example, if you go back to the, like, 25 years ago, you know, there was, like, a Batman cartoon called Batman the Animated Series where they just sort of made it, like, a very amalgamation of time frames as far as, like, yeah. when is it supposed to take place? Because you've got, like... TVs right. and stuff, but everything's in black and white and there's a lot of yeah. art deco. And so in the case of Double Decker, it's like, yeah, you've got like certain things that seem like they're kind of retro and certain things that seem like they're very futuristic. Yeah. The two main characters, Doug and Kirill in the title, those are the two main characters. So Kirill Vrubel is a young, enthusiastic, gung-ho police constable He's like a regular uniform cop and he like really wants to be a hero. He's like super obsessed with it. Kirill is also an idiot. There are many idiots, but Kirill is the idiot. Yes, Kirill is a spectacular idiot. 
He ends up in the middle of a hostage situation. I feel like this is a plot that's been used a lot, but he's chasing a cat for, I think it's his landlady. Yeah. And he winds up accidentally getting into the middle of this hostage situation where one of the people that's in there and injured is Jefferson, a fellow cop that he works with. And in this situation, Carol meets Doug Billingham. Doug Billingham is an agent with a group called 7-0, which I feel like must be a reference to Hawaii 5 And 7 is sort of like a highly specialized vice unit. There is a drug called Anthem that's been circulating. And it's being made for many, many years and they've put a bunch of microtransactions into (laughs) Anthem and they're really hoping that this is going to make a ton of money. No, it's not that. So Anthem is this drug that is really lethal. Like they say that its fatality rate is like 30%, which is ridiculous, but also does some like weird hinky stuff with people's genetics. And so Anthem can cause people to like have weird mutations. If it doesn't kill you or doesn't like just have like a high effect on you, it can actually cause you to like mutate and people basically turn into monsters and get like superpowers. And it also cleans your clothes really, really well because they all (laughs) look like Tide Pods. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they do. Kids don't do the Tide Pod <laughs> challenge because you might become a mutant and then the cops will have to kill you or you'll just die. Probably you'll just die. <laughs> And so they do have a regular vice division that deals with normal drug-related crimes. But because Anthem can cause people to turn into crazy mutants and give them superpowers, 7-0, this highly specialized unit, has been established that is just designed to do that. And they have a very limited purview, like they're only allowed and authorized to get involved when things have reached like a certain stage where this, you know, mutation is occurring. Before that, it's all in the hands of like the regular drug enforcement agents. And there's some stuff with that where like, we can't investigate this yet because it's not our jurisdiction. They basically have these magic bullets with some sort of weird drug in them that undoes whatever genetic manipulation the anthem does. I don't actually remember if they explain why if this exists, they can't just, you know, give it to everybody, but... You can tell there's also probably some shady shit going on because even though they're a part of the police force, they report to the military. So. Yeah, I mean, some big O like scenario where just gone full fascist military state. Who knows? But big O 20 year anniversary, by the way. Yes. Such a good show. So Carol falls in the middle of his hostage situation and then he meets Doug, who was trying to sneak into the warehouse where this is taking place. But because Doug is also sort of an idiot, gets stuck in a pipe and basically is like, hey, you want to be a hero right you want to help out right so like you should go distract this guy and Kirill's like i don't know about this and doug is like if you do this you might qualify for a posthumous promotion and Kirill, who is a moron does not know what a doesn't posthumous understand what posthumous means, means. <laughs> and he's like, like yes promotion yeah, go we're doing it <laughs> yes he decides to distract the drugged up hostage taker in the most obvious way that you would which is to get naked the and pretend to way. be a time traveler complete with terminator audio sting but somehow it works uh, it, yeah it, he pulled it off literally yeah, doug gets in in the, in the nick of time this is all episode one yes. by the way <laughs> no, and so carol basically ends up getting booted out of the police force because he gets arrested because they think he's the hostage <laughs> 
Undertaker. And it's, of course, on the front page. But Doug recommends him to join 7-0. And he does indeed join 7-0 and is assigned as Doug's partner. Doug is sort of the veteran officer, kind of conic. Also, as the narration informs us, Doug is kind of an asshole. This is why we love him. The show is very clear. Like, Kirill is an idiot. Doug is kind of an asshole. These are the important things. And so, yeah, shenanigans. They also have co-workers. Yes, they do. Their co-workers are really awesome. And they've got a stern chief. The 7-0 is staffed by a group of cop duos in what their boss, Travis, who is, as the show informs us, also an idiot, refers to as the double-decker system, which everybody else is like, this is stupid. But he's like, no, 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 it's real cool. All his decisions basically boil down to someone saying, this is real stupid, and him retorting, shut up, this is real cool. (laughs) Now do it. He also insists that all of the people have code names. But they're all shit code names. No, they're great because the code names have nothing to do with how they are, and so he insists that they change No, no, no. Most of the time they do. They include a duo Max and Yuri. Max has a cool punk haircut and is a boxer, and therefore her code name is Boxer. (laughs) And then Yuri is a robot, so her code name is Robot. No one would ever guess who these people no one could ever suspect that's a huge spoiler to reveal (laughs) that robot is a robot you don't learn that for a while But I think you can figure it out. Yes. And then there's Dina, who has pink hair and whose code name is Pink. Carol is the only one. So Carol gets hired. Carol's all in purple, but you'd think he's, his name would be like, you know, Fat Perps or you know, Epic Lutes or something like that. But no, that's not Kirill's code name at all. So Kirill joins and Kirill is rookie, except then their boss, Travis, forgot that they were hiring another person who starts the next day. So their name has to become rookie. And so now, now Kirill needs another name, which Travis decides it's got to be Perm because he wanted to have somebody on the team yep, that who has had a perm. perm. By the way, you don't have a Perm? Go get a Perm right now. And Kirill is like, no, I don't want a Perm. Your code name is Perm. So go get a perm right now so you can live up to your code name. I scheduled an appointment for you. Anyway, after much arguing, loud arguing, eventually he ends up being called Buzzcut, which also still makes no sense and does not get a Buzzcut. But his code name is Buzzcut. <laughs> Travis and his Charlie's Angels like entourage. Of, right. Uh, there is like a definite Charlie's Angels sequence in one of the episode. He also tries to call them Travis's Angels, but again, everybody's everyone's like, Shut like up, no, listen, stupid. it's not sucks. Like it's cool, damn it. <laughs> So many of the departmental decisions of 7-0 are based on Travis the Chief thinking that this is cool shit. Not like this is a factual crime fighting. Yeah, which is how I would run that department too. But, I mean, <laughs> If you had like no oversight and just unlimited, well not unlimited, but you know, just uh, right. the ability to do whatever you wanted basically. Yeah. So each episode is relatively standalone. Like yes, they do yeah, sort, of sort of an overarching like, arc plot. of like tracking down the Anthem suppliers and stuff like that. That's not really the focus. The focus is more on kind of jokey sitcom-y wacky hijinks every episode right yeah I wanted to talk a little bit more about the jokes and like the characters and stuff, but I'm a little concerned. Some stuff might be spoilers. So if you're really sensitive about that, you might want to like check it out and watch it and then come back. It's only like 13 episodes plus. Yeah. So what we'll say is basically Tiger and Bunny in the early 2000s was very well animated and had a lot of heart to it. A lot of really memorable Mm -hmm. characters, a lot of really cool character designs. And more or less, if you did see Tiger and Bunny and someone did not see Double Decker, stop right now. Go watch Double Decker. 
Joker. I yes. guarantee you'll like it. I'll, I'll be surprised. You know, there's we hear from some people who are fans of Tiger and Bunny who don't like Double Decker. I think it's because they're expecting more of it. But um, right. I think this has a lot of the elements of that series that made people be endeared to those characters. Maybe they don't quite have any sort of massive, you know, homosexual stereotypes the way Fire Emblem was initially. That's sort of been altered a bit. They've for, got some iffy trans issues. Yeah, but like uh, I'll talk about that. You know, in that's a minute, that's sort but... of coming up. You got to modernize it for the late yeah. 2000s, as opposed to the early 2000s, and so now you have that to to contend with instead. But you know, as far as just animation, design work, music, comedy. Yeah. action same character designers as tiger and bunny not the same director although the director for double decker did work on tiger and bunny he was like a storyboarder and episode director but it's not the same main director but a lot of the same staff go check it out and for the rest of you who are less sensitive to you know us giving away great jokes yeah. well, we're, uh, not, we're not going to like give away the whole show so we're, we're not going to no no no, no, there's no. Just... but there's some stuff that like might be giving away a joke or that might be like talking about something that's not revealed until later so just to be safe one of the other things that i do want to talk about so in terms of like talking about the jokes and this is not necessarily spoilers but i think one of the things that's interesting about double decker is that it relies a lot on referential humor they you know reference charlie's angels like the 70 is probably reference to hawaii 50 there's a lot of like visual gag references there's shots where it's like this is a the cover to a franz ferdinand album or a sex pistols album They've also had some really, really good jokes with the Blu-ray covers. Yes. Yeah. One of the Blu-ray covers is a promo image from Sherlock with Doug and Carolyn instead, which is extra hilarious and works on another level because the guy that voices Doug Satoshi Mikami is the dub voice for Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, I love those a lot. I mean, even though I really hate Hot Fuzz, they had the cover that they did the... Yes. To, that was just the Hot was Fuzz. Just the Hot Fuzz uh, cover, which is a good but joke. But I think here's the, the risk you run with the referential humor is what if your viewing audience is unfamiliar right. with any of these references? Yeah, and I think it works because if you get the references, it's funny, but... I don't think that it's like, if you don't get the references, there's no other joke. Because so much of the humor is like just the characters and the way the characters interact with each other. Like so much of the humor is just Kirill being an idiot and Doug being like a weird asshole. Dina being a rude bitch and like, well, the- and Travis being a creep and an idiot. It's so character based. And so if you don't get the references, it's not going to break the show. I totally agree. There's an episode in there that had a lot of references to Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just sight gags that if you caught it, then great. It was another bonus. Referential humor should always be additive and not subtractive. Right. There's a few throwaway things like I somehow wound up with like half a page of notes about Doug's gun because in the first episode he makes a joke about he insists on using a 38 revolver because he's a detective, which is like a really ridiculous joke because there's a gun called the Colt Detective Special, which is a 38 revolver and it used to be a standard gun for like law enforcement, also for the JSDF, some of the Tokyo police force, also for some of the Hong Kong police force. Not anymore. I think pretty much everyone's switched to the nine millimeter and it's used a lot in movies through the decades i mean just everything like noir movies violent cop like the katano la confidential also of course the most important movie ninja 3 the domination Uh, of course wow people remembered the gun in that wow look gun otaku are like serious nuts 
I've seen. So I found that, by the way, on a site called the Internet Movie Firearms Firearms Database. I am familiar with that, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm well-versed in its existence. If you ever want to know what gun somebody used in anything, there is an entire website that you can consult. And this is just like a completely throwaway line. It's like a one-line joke. If you don't get the joke, maybe it doesn't make sense. I was like, okay, that has to be a reference or something because I know it's a really referential show. So I actually had to like look it up because I don't know a lot about guns. At worst, it's like, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it's one line. You know, the Friends Ferdinand album cover, it's like one shot. If you get it, it's like, oh, that's that album cover. But the scene doesn't depend on that. Right. It's not like watching one of those, what, early 2000s shitty epic movies or whatever those things are, where the entire joke is like a commercial that is on TV at that time. Right. I like Robot Chicken, but something like Robot Chicken, where the entire joke is just, this is a reference. Yes. To some show that you watched as a kid, you better watch that show as a kid. Otherwise, there's not a lot here for you. Right. I like the references and everything, but I wouldn't be worried. I would say that the biggest thing that maybe you would lose is some of the ways that it kind of inverts things that you would expect based on the formula. This is where I want to talk about something that's a little bit of a spoiler. It's in like episode four. So it's not like that much of a spoiler. In the first two or three episodes, there's like these ongoing references to Doug's former partner, Derek. People make these references offhand about like there was an undercover mission that went wrong. Derek's gone and his stuff is packed up. Doug has a gun that he gives to Kirill that used to be Derek's and it's got Derek's name on it. And so Kirill, of course, as everybody who is familiar with cop movies would assumes that Doug's partner, Derek, died tragically in the line of duty and Doug is real angsty about it. And then like in the beginning of episode, I think it's four, they basically in about 30 seconds are like, oh no, Derek's fine. He just quit and he's a bartender now because he really wanted to be a bartender. And this bar is actually very close by. Yes. Yes. They go there regularly. So it's this thing that seems to be building up to something. And Right. The formula is you expect a tragic death of the partner backstory. But no, it's just he did get injured, but he's like, I just always wanted to be a bartender. So, you know, I just decided to quit and I opened a bar. Right. But the way they treat it with it's like, oh, leave his stuff there on that desk and we leave that desk alone and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, okay, this is a monument to the fallen. And then Carol's like, but I thought he was dead. And then everybody's like, why did you think he was dead? And then Carol's like thinking back and he's like, nobody ever actually no said he was dead. No one actually said he died. Shit. <laughs> Something like that, to a certain extent, plays on the common formula that you would expect in the buddy cop show. But again, I feel like even if you don't know that trope well enough to expect it, it's still funny. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. If you look at the titles, they're puns on like certain famous quotes or yeah. famous like things. There's just lots of weird little bits and pieces that I think that the more of the things that you catch, I think the more you appreciate the show. Right. But it's also not essential. The closest thing, and this show's completely completely different from Double Decker, but it was much more popular than Double Decker in the United States as well. It was Trigger's show SSSS Gridman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Which was an anime sequel to a 90s live action tokusatsu Japanese show that never came out here. I did. At least in its original format. It got localized yeah. into a version called the Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. And so they called their show SSSS was in homage to that. Now, if you didn't see Gridman, if you didn't see Cyber Squad, you wouldn't catch that. But even if you did see those things, 
things. There were additional references in that show to Transformers yeah. and to a specific toy line of Transformers to say like, oh, okay, there's the Matrix of Leadership, like right. you know, right there in the background there, and like you know, if yeah, you, like I remember Mike Dent had threads on Twitter of like the about, billion like the annotations. references of, right. in every episode, and I don't watch that much Tokusatsu, so of course I don't get really any. Of I that don't think stuff. I don't think I got a single reference, and but I it's still an show. enjoyable show, and yet anyway. it was still a massively popular thing and i think part right. of it is just because people you know were horny for the girls in it <laughs> which is key yeah you know, i don't know if the, mean, the horniness level in this is more towards uh, on a different scale i mean the ladies are hot but not in the same way as like they're not like fat thigh right, absolute right. territory i, I don't know man. style I, what's her name the buzz cut girl max yeah, yeah i love her so much max is great yeah and like she and yuri are kind of ambiguously gay they never say like there's so there's like stuff like which could uncharitably be referred to as queer baiting and i you know i won't get into the whole debate about that teasing stuff for yaoi fans like versus actually having them outwardly be yeah and the difference between that and people who are actually like queer in the audience and so but there's a whole thing there's a you know an issue with that and so i understand that's People are sometimes really bothered by the fact that they do that, but they have like the ending sequence. It's very much because all the characters are paired up into duos. There's stuff in the ending where they're hosed in like coupley sort of ways and like Max and Yuri especially, but they never are like, yeah, they're gay. So I actually really like the female characters in the show. All the other cops that they work with are women. They're really great. Dina's like a foul mouth, bad attitude. She's the bad cop and then she gets paired up with a new rookie who's like super straight-laced and honest and everything is by the book. Hold on, she does live the aggressive life of having the perfect Instagram food blog. <laughs> That's true. Also, I love the ongoing joke of her continually getting really angry, complaining drunk on non-alcoholic beverages. Yes. Drinking at the bar with them and she's just slurring and like complaining about stuff and it's just like the annotation on the screen is this is non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> and then, you know, you have Max who's the tough lady and then Yuri, who's a robot, the kind of like quiet girl. They're all really good characters and they have interesting like team dynamics and stuff. So obviously like Doug and Kirill, their names are in the title of the show. They're the main characters. They're the focus. But I think if you do have an interest in shows with good female characters, I really like the ones in this show. Oh, I almost forgot to mention an important thing, as in our recent review of Mr. Tonegawa, Double Decker is also another example of the fact that the narrator is a very important feature. It's a very strong narrator yep. in terms of being able to deliver some suitable hype to the proceedings. I love the narrator in Double Decker because it's sort of like a weird mix between the super hype narration in Kaiji and Mr. Tonegawa and the Arrested Development narrator who just sort of has this like commentary on the characters being stupid. When I mentioned things like Kirill is an idiot and Doug is kind of an asshole, like these are literally things that the narrator says. Definitely not impartial. No, no, no. The narrator straight up, this was not at all true. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Kirill has no idea what Right, yeah. Kirill has no idea what posthumous means. In. It means you're dead. <laughs> 
It's real good. The narrator is uh, Yuji Ueda, who I think most importantly is Speedwagon in JoJo's. Yeah, like that's sort of, I think, what people would know him for now yeah. is that. But Yuji Ueda's been around for quite some time. Uh, he's been a, Yoji. You know, Yoji. both dramatic and, yeah. Oh, Yoji. Yeah, no, okay, it's a different guy. He's not. Different guy than who I was thinking of then. He's Decapon in a lot of the Osamatsu stuff. He's also Paz, but only in the Ghost in the Shell Arise and the new movie. Yeah, most of the other stuff I don't think is like that well known but I hope that we do get more of him oh he is in Thunderbolt he's Sebastian Morse I don't actually remember who that is oh okay but he is super great (laughs) he really adds so much to the show (laughs) so I'm glad that you know we're getting more shows that are making such like interesting use of the concept of the narrator now I know that this was one of the shows because nowadays we're at the point where simulcasting isn't enough anymore they actually do simul dubs now or things as close to that as possible and Funimation actually was dubbing this you know on a very short delay relative to when the episode would air like I think you know roughly like you know a week or two later maybe three weeks later or something Mm -hmm. like that the dub episode would be out but I don't actually watch stuff in English but it's also locked away behind their Funimation paywall whereas the Japanese version was on Crunchyroll so I'm assuming we all watched the Crunchyroll one yeah I haven't actually watched the English dub so I couldn't really talk about that in particular. But I feel like some of the recent Funimation dubs from the bits and pieces that I've seen seem to be pretty good. Like, I was surprised from the clips I saw. It seems like I know they did a good job with the manager from Zombieland Saga. So... I would imagine it's probably fine. But yeah, so you can watch it either way. But if it's dubbed, you're going to have to go through Funimation. If you want to watch it subbed, you can watch it through Crunchyroll. Yeah, Crunchyroll slash Verve slash, you know, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, usually like most people have Crunchyroll if they have any one. Right. I'm kind of curious as to whether there's any chance that Double Decker would get on television. But I imagine if Tiger and Bunny didn't, then probably not. Yeah, it might be a little tough to get this one because I mean Tiger and Bunny can look at it and see like okay this person's like Iron Man this person's like yeah. Spider-Man whatever whereas you look at something like this and you have a guy who grew up watching James Bond and thinking he's cool and he's like well I'm gonna copy <laughs> this or you know something like that yeah it's a little tougher but you know certainly I'm sure they not for lack of trying that I think it would find an audience if it got out there but again I thought the same thing about Tiger and Bunny and I was yeah. wrong I think it's almost guaranteed that it's gonna be out, released on Blu-ray from Funimation if Funimation's paying out the money to simuldub it, yeah. right. that they probably have the rights to release the home video. I hope it'll get a good release because the Japanese release has been pretty nice. So hopefully we'll get a good one and we'll get the... I think like the joke covers or alternate covers maybe for the Blu-rays. I'm hoping that there won't be a licensing issue because they're parodies of other stuff. It's parody. It's fine. I think it's close. It's different enough. Well, but that's the thing. I never know like what constitutes that because I wouldn't have thought that the names in JoJo's would be a problem, but... I don't think they are a problem i think they're just paranoid they might be paranoid there is the possibility that certain phrases can be trademarked but it's a trademark is different but a parody of a movie cover is completely completely covered they're right, like I remember when Cromarty was released, they st- which again, super old show at this point, but like they had the, right. the parody covers of the Queen album and stuff like that, and that was fine. So that's probably fine. I was very happy that this show gained enough of an audience in Japan that there was more than just the 13 episodes. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything about whether we're going to get another season. People seem kind of hopeful because it does seem to have been doing well, but we're not really sure yet. I hope we do. 
because I really enjoyed it. I think it's a good addition to Tiger and Bunny. We were having a conversation off of here earlier, and we mentioned this a little bit about like why maybe the show is not quite as popular. And I feel like it's a little divided. I think a lot of people just haven't watched it, maybe like don't realize. Because actually, when it first started, I didn't know about it because like I didn't really hear people talking about it. Yeah, I think you first heard about it when I mentioned it on an episode a couple episodes ago. I said, oh, go watch Double Decker. And you're like, what's that? I said, oh, it's this Tiger and Bunny spinoff. You're like, oh, wow, really? Yeah. And, and I think that was the first time. And everyone here are people who are fairly following anime stuff day to day. And even you guys didn't necessarily hear about Double Decker. There's so much stuff now. I yeah, mean, there's probably like three shows that are running now that are great that my small group of people aren't talking about. Right. I'm sure some of it is just maybe people that don't know about it. Maybe people are just like, well, it's not more Tiger and Bunny. But I do know that I have seen, I didn't read other people's reviews extensively because I usually don't do that too much before I talk about stuff on here. But I do know like that there was some discussion back and forth about, so I mentioned the potential queer baiting, but there are some other things. So in Tiger and Bunny, they had Fire Emblem, who was an openly gay character. I like Fire Emblem, but like, I think it's interesting to put that in there. And they did explicitly address it. There's a whole big thing like in the Tiger and Bunny movie. I thought that was really sweet to how they address it in the movie, but... But that being said, that was years later. But yeah, that is years later. Yeah, but he's also a flaming stereotype. He literally is a flaming homosexual. Yes. (laughs) And so it's cool that they included this, but they didn't really handle it in the best way. And I think you see the same thing in Double Decker. So there's some stuff in here that's kind of not really a big deal. So there's bits where there's like side mentions of Carol and Doug are doing like surveillance and they're like, oh, it's a couple fighting and it's like the couple is, you know, two guys. So like there's like Mm. just kind of normal like around gay people in the setting but it is true that none of the main characters are like explicitly queer and there's a couple of weird things with characters that may be trans but it's not handled so like there's an episode about Max's backstory which involves a friend of hers who appears to be a trans girl but like it's awkwardly handled and the character isn't actually like there so it's all just used as this backstory for Max that they always refer to the character as their male name. And so I haven't seen any interviews about that with the staff. So I know sometimes like in Japanese stuff, there's certain characters like just because somebody's a cross-dresser doesn't necessarily mean that they're intended to be trans. And some of that is the fact that there are like people who like to cross-dress that aren't necessarily trans. And some of it is also like just people not being aware of trans issues and kind of using that and not really understanding it. One thing I I want to interject here is, and I remember that scene. I I thought the scene was handled very well, but... I think it's a lot better than a lot of other stuff. It's certainly sympathetic. Yes, it's very sympathetic. I know that Japan, in America, one of the rudest, most awful things you can do to a trans person is dead name them. Right, and that's one of the things they always refer to this character as a male name. That is, yeah, Japan is, from what I have seen and from what I've heard, they're not there yet. And it's kind of sad because I feel like we just had Zombieland Saga, which also had a trans character, which I think was handled really, really well. But they also went back and said, oh, what was your name before? Which would be perceived as a very rude thing in America. Well, 
true. I mean, they did, but they don't go on referring no, no, to the don't. character as that name. And the character is an ongoing major character in the series as opposed to like in a flashback. Mm-hmm. So this is also spoilers. But in the beginning of the series, Kirill talks about the fact that he has a sister that he hasn't seen in a while and that he's looking for. A little bit into the series, Kirill's sister does show up. And it turns out that Kirill's sister is actually Kirill's brother. And this is where it's like Kirill's sister is maybe not meant to be trans because doesn't seem to have an issue with being referred to as male and kind of seems to go back to living as a man and may have been mostly doing it trying to like be undercover but it's very like wonky and it's not really well explained from that perspective and there's some stuff about like people are like don't tell Derek that like it's actually a guy because like it'll be hilarious which is fucked up although I will say that in a later episode when Derek does find out he's perfectly fine he doesn't care at all so it's not like the character actually does freak out yeah like I guess because I've been watching anime for so long and I guess it's one of those things where in the 20 plus years ago people saw anime as really forward thinking as far as having these sorts of characters even though like some of the content wouldn't pass muster I just put an article up on anime news network of like here's what was notable 30 years ago this year's a 30 year anniversary of Rama one half Rama one half for the people who don't know because it was 30 years ago was a show about a guy who under certain circumstances became a woman and the comedy of the show was in people hitting on either the the guy version of Rama or the girl version of Rama not knowing they're the same character and like oh it'd be really funny or it'd be really like hilarious if they don't know this or you know what have you then there was other characters who knew and didn't care and so on and so forth and then there were other things in like say the late Mm -hmm. 80s early 90s like here is Greenwood for example for which there's a character for whom is assumed to be a girl but actually up oh, surprised the guy gotcha you know right. and it's like funny joke haha on the main character yeah. but people look back on, on things like Greenwood as like oh wow this show that really was way beyond anything right. that people would be making at that time but if you were to go back and look at it now people would be like what the fuck are you guys thinking you know like and so it doesn't register to me as much I think also like especially in mainstream material where it's written by maybe people who aren't queer I think there's always a little bit of that tension is in one sense it's good that it's there at all because like it actually used to be something that wouldn't even be mentioned but at the same time there's still aspects of it that could be done better and so I don't think granted I have the luxury I'm not trans so I have the luxury of of being you know kind of whatever about it it's not as personal for me but I will say that I think the series seems to be trying and mean well and also I think that there is enough other stuff that's really good about it that I wouldn't say oh this show is terrible like the other thing is the character of Travis is like part of the thing is like he's he's like a creep the hot springs episode it was really kind of like uncomfortable sometimes because the ongoing joke was just like him being a real creep about his female employees and remember that's like this oav released after the fact for like super fans like this is the moment you've been waiting for everyone goes to the hot springs and we get to see max without makeup yeah exactly like these are the things that you want and so that's what they deliver for travis yeah and i mean that episode i really like a lot because there's just really good stuff in it but also it's 
kind of annoying. And everybody has to kind of pick their own threshold for that sort of stuff. I mean, certainly I would say that Travis's, the way he acts is always kind of acknowledged to be shitty. People call him out on it, but that doesn't necessarily make it better. So obviously everybody's going to have to choose their own threshold for stuff like that. But I would say that I think there's still enough good things about the series that I still really enjoyed it. But it's certainly something that people have had some concerns about. I think if, I mean, this doesn't save the fact the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) Sure. But I think at the very least, when those jokes come up, they're not punching down. There's at least... Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately Travis is the butt of the joke, but at the same time, he's also still their boss. So yeah, I think for the most part, it's like kind of like good intentions and they're trying to like talk about some stuff that's maybe not usually mentioned, but they're not always like the best at handling it. I know people said similar things about um so like really early in the series Carol and Doug are having a conversation about like why did you want to become a cop and Doug talks about he says there's two things that I want to eradicate from the world poverty and class which is kind of like an interesting thing that you wouldn't necessarily expect to hear from a lot of shows or especially from a cop yeah and there's stuff that comes up like that about corrupt cops and like unions and stuff like that but it's brought up but maybe not like really fully explored or maybe it gets kind of like not really handled very well maybe i'm too forgiving but i feel like i think it's cool that they even try like i don't know i think it's interesting that they even bring that stuff up and maybe the stuff with doug and like the whole like class and poverty like maybe that if they do a second season that'll come into it more but i think it's just a show that like is trying and has some good intentions but maybe sometimes it kind of doesn't do the best at it but and i think maybe it's canceled uh, according to the way that people sort of write off media in the the modern era that just doesn't live up to the expectations of what people want from this sort of stuff. I mean, because I'm old, I don't really think in terms of that way. I'm also amoral because I grew up on Kazuo Koike <laughs> and, um, you know, Monkey Punch and crazy right. shit like that. And so that's, you know, nothing kills me because I can't be killed. I'm already dead. <laughs> Whereas the, the children of today who, who are, you know, living with life and need to be ground down into nihilism and decay, Double Decker is not the vector for that just yet because just like, oh, we can't have this poison in our lives. But I don't know. But yeah, that, that may be a reason why Japan, in terms of fan art, in terms of like other things, like there's quite a bit of things for Double Decker and there has been quite a bit of things for Tiger and Bunny yes. over the years since 2011. It has been continual even up to 2019. They still sell merchandise it's still popular whereas over here tiger and bunny it came people didn't really get it on tv so it didn't bring out that other wave of fans viz had the home video release and so you know it took a very long time and viz's home video releases are kind of so-so in terms of yeah they're just bad. Getting out they're, there. They're just not. The release of Tiger and Bunny is fine. I mean, I own it. It's just as far as like, it's very rarely goes on sale. It's mm-hmm. not like in store shelves because, you know, they're more interested in selling Naruto sets and, you know. And the recent stuff. Yeah. But like Japan is just kept at Tiger and Bunny stage drama this and, you know, CDs mm-hmm. and this art event or this, uh, you know, promotional thing. Like people it was have re- kept that alive. It was voted the number one anime. And a lot of that kind of stuff, like we just don't get we're not gonna get those stage shows right because it's a stage show and like and they're bad also but the point is is that you know enough (laughs) people go i wish that more places would um figure out a way to like release drama cds but again we don't usually don't get those translated officially anyway and they certainly don't redo them with dub voice actors so that kind of thing if that's also a way that they're kind of keeping it going that just kind of doesn't unless you're like a super fan and you really go after it that stuff is not going to be visible to you right 
Right. I mean, the only times we've gotten drama CDs I can think of as they were extras on DVDs and Blu-rays, and that was the Devil yeah. Man one and I My Me Strawberry Eggs, which is not something you ever need to remember. But <laughs> Those releases, incidentally, are separated by the span of nearly 15 years. And somehow yeah. I remember this. That's where my mind is. Incidentally, I My Me Strawberry Eggs is like the premise of that show would not pass muster no, in the today's society. Not. No, That barely passed muster back then. So... <laughs> Yeah. That was not a... I keep hoping that stuff like the recent Wolverine podcast is maybe meaning we're going to get the renaissance in like drama CDs as a as a form of American promotional material that we've been needing. Maybe. It would be nice. I mean, I've been listening to drama stuff forever and ever yeah. because it's a big thing in Britain. Like, and look, so... Marvel, I know that you're not going to pay billions of dollars to make a movie about the Avengers dicking around doing normal stuff. But that's what drama CDs are for. Yes, maybe you can afford to pay them to record a CD. Well, they do have graphic audio and they yeah, have yeah. licensed a lot of the Marvel stuff. I think people want like those actors though well, yeah, yeah. reciting these lines. Like that's sort of like the appeal of drama CDs in general, right? Those actors won't do that for. <laughs> it would be nice, but yeah, those guys will ask yeah. me way too much. Maybe not those actors, but maybe like TV people. I don't know. Anyway, I feel like it is an untapped market. But yeah, Double Decker, Doug and Carol, great stuff. Yes. Yeah, like I think the closest show recently that is somewhat comparable to Double Decker would be if you were a fan of Blood Blockade Battlefront. Mm. It's a very similar kind of energy, like it's very similar group of idiots, you know, <laughs> being tasked with solving some sort of improbable criminal activity. Right. That was the biggest uh, show of that year. And yeah, Double Decker obviously isn't as action-oriented. Like, there are action scenes, but I wouldn't say it's as much of an action series. As yeah, not as much no. action, not nearly as much incidental collateral death as a joke, like <laughs> no. in Blood Blockade. But still, like, as a fan of both series, I feel like it's just thinking of something that's at least in the same, like, wavelength. It's the closest mm -hmm. I can sort of liken it to, where you've got things. I mean, I have no idea on the more serious side, gonna get, like, a third season of Psychopaths, which is not going to have wacky fun times in its procedure cop action -y things. Likewise, the new Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is going to be in 3D CG and therefore is going to be a goddamn nightmare. It will be. But uh, everyone's going to see that because it's going to be on TV. I can't dread the upcoming Blade Runner anime that's also going to be 3D CG and on TV here. But presumably all those things will be about what's, like... What's wrong? Like that short they did that was 2D was great. Well, it's different studio. I mean... It's Games doing that and Aramaki and Kamiyama just did like design work for they need to look at that and say, that's how you should do it. But who knows? I'm sure uh, Psy Games is like, we got that big time gotcha money so like we can make, you know, something cool. The worst yeah. looking parts of Baki, like they look terrible, are the 3D CG parts. I'm completely inoculated against the CG parts of Baki because I was like, yeah, it just looks like the opening credits for the show from 20 years ago. Same quality CG <laughs> as well. Oh, they look but awful. Like, they look I, it actually barely registers on me, even though I'm, I'm aware it's there, but it's like, okay, whatever. But point is, Double Decker, I think it's greater than the sum of its parts. I feel that most people's first impression of it is maybe the first episode or two, and the first episode or two are kind of what we sort of summarize as like in the earlier parts of this review of what happens. All that's more or less the first two episodes with the exception yeah, yeah. of some of the stuff we said happens in like episode four or what have you. And that's just because we don't want to give away like some of the payoffs for... Because a lot of these episodes are like just a lot of stuff leading up to like final gag 
at the end mm -hmm. and to say here's what happens is to kind of deprive you of the comedy of it. There's definitely some straight up fan fiction plots. Yeah, better than your name sort of scenarios. <laughs> so if we get another season, I demand the episode where Doug and Carol have to go undercover as boyfriends. That is the next yeah, one. Yeah, that that's a, another staple. Because fake dating is the best trope. Right. I think if you liked Tiger and Bunny, if you like buddy cop shows, it's not like JoJo's, but I think if one of the things you like about JoJo's is that the characters are just fucking idiots. Right. But entertaining, lovable idiots and assholes. I think that's also <laughs> kind yeah, of like if you are if you can't get enough Narancha and Golden Wind, <laughs> Double Decker is the sort of vibe for you. <laughs> You know, imagine more Narancha with uh, Abakio and crew. That's basically what's going on here. Yes. Yeah, so definitely check it out. Hopefully you enjoy it. I think probably you will. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you like Tiger and Bunny and like you don't like Double Decker, I'd be curious to know like what is it about one versus the other that worked for you and didn't work for you. Yeah. Let us know, especially uh, that you can leave us a comment on our website at AnimeWorldOrder.com or you can send us an email at AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com with your thoughts. We are hoping that because this is a more recent show that there's going to be some people who saw it. But again, every time a new episode would come out, we go to Crunchyroll and quick shows and then you'd have to scroll down a bit until you got to Double Decker because, you know, it's sorted by popularity. Yeah. And that was even when on the day a new episode came out. But perhaps the people who listen to us may be inclined to have uh, watched Double Decker. And then tell everyone else you know right, to watch Right, because that Double seems Decker. to be the only way this one's sort of catching on. is like just word of mouth. But who's to say, maybe once again, 10 years from now, someone on the successor to YouTube, maybe someone releases a version of that that does not have Nazis on it or something like that. And, and everyone flocks <laughs> to this. Who knows? And then someone goes and catches on there and says, go check out Double Decker. And tons of people check out Double Decker and say, wow, incredible. No one's ever talked about this show. And that's when us, you know, assuming I haven't died of cancer in uh, <laughs> not 11 months time, because again, I'll be 40 in 11 yes. months time. We'll rise from our graves or our rocking rise chairs. Rise from my graves and extend a skeletal <laughs> hand and say, yeah, like the um, cicada. <laughs> That's a topical reference that, you know, will not be understood two episodes no. from now. So I think that will do it. Hopefully this was informative and not horribly mischaracterizing things. I can see all the Patreon pledges canceling. Yes. As a result, like realizing this is what they've gotten yeah. themselves How into. How dare you? We will be back hopefully fairly soon. Do we know what we're doing yet? Yes, we do. I think we have a feeling of what we're getting. Like we're watching something that's a little longer. That's probably not going to be ready for the next episode. Yes. No. But we're sort of gunning for maybe the episode after that, which will probably be a June-ish time frame for that one and then in the time between in May I think we know what we do want to talk about for the next episode okay. but Gerald uh, if you do we want to say or do we want to like hold off in case we change we, our minds let's hold off on it in case we change our minds and then we don't have to king crimson our way out of it <laughs> <laughs> okay we will see you another time with something so until then I think you should all follow Kirill's advice and don't think feel so good <laughs> <laughs>